This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It wasn't Cupid, but Kevin De Bruyne and the Blues who sunk their arrows into the heart of the Park and Faithful Tuesday night. City will return to the Etihad with an emphatic away win in their back pocket as the knockout journey towards back-to-back European titles gets fully underway. It's Wednesday. February 14th, I'm Adam Booker. I'm Joe Ritchie. I'm Alex Michelle. And this is the City Report Podcast. Welcome back to the City Report Podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. I'm Adam Booker, and today I'm joined by Alex Michelle and Joe Ritchie to dissect City's 3-1 win in Copenhagen in the first leg of the Champions League round of 16. Joe, welcome back. We're going to get straight into it because we have tons to discuss after what was uh, another impressive showing in Copenhagen last night. I said on yesterday's preview pod that anything other than a loss at the parking would be a roaring success, considering how much of a fortress the Etihad has become for City in the Champions League in recent seasons. Um, We'll get into the nitty gritty as the show goes on, but on a night when the Blues won their ninth consecutive Champions League game, the longest run by any English side in the competition's history, we can't have too many complaints, can we? No, and on top of that, they uh, became the first team in Champions League history to score three-plus goals in seven consecutive games. So uh, City continue to set records. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much to complain about going into the second leg, bar some injuries, which we'll talk about later. But on on the pitch performance, you know, no complaints from me. And, you know, hopefully we're that much closer to the next round. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll get into those injuries in, in part two of today's episode because um, there are some some big bummers on the injury front. But Alex, welcome back. Um, overall thoughts on the game? Thank you. And yeah, I think to echo what Joe just said, there wasn't really much to complain about. Maybe the Ederson error. 
aside from that, I think it was really nice to see until Grealish went off injured, the sort of, in my eyes, first choice front five for us. And you could argue the first choice back line. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I think that's, that's arguable one way or another, but more or less, we haven't really seen this sort of cohesive of an 11 from City in a while. So it was nice to finally get that and, and have some minutes under their belts. And I think that led to a really, really sort of put together performance. Maybe it dropped off a little bit after the first goal, but then second half, we pulled it back together and nothing to complain about in the end. Yeah, Joe, let's start with the lineup because I think it's the first time we've seen this season what I would consider the the linchpin treble winning um, lineup other than maybe Kyle Walker, who didn't play as much of a part in the back half of last season. But, um, you know, Nathan Ake went back out to his left back role. And most importantly, we saw that front five of Foden, De Bruyne, Grealish, Bernardo Silva, and Erling Holland. As, as Alex mentioned, it's unfortunate that Grealish didn't get to play as much of a part because of that injury. Um, but it was exciting to kind of see the band back together for the first time, really, this season. Yeah, I don't normally get too high or, too, or I, I should say I try not to get too high or too low after I see lineups released, but um, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't really excited to see this 11 drop. I mean, I think I speak for most of us when I say I'm about as big of a Jack Grealish fan as you can get, and um, obviously he's been going through a bit of a rough patch really this season with injuries, with um, I think his form's been good when he's played, but with injuries, with obviously the um, – personal matter he had with the break-in um it's just it's just been a very unfortunate season for him I think is the best way to put it and then you know Pep even said in his post-match presser like his attitude's been a lot better in training it just felt like it was leading up to hey we have this great run-in of fixtures you know coming up where you need a player of Jack's quality and for him to go off was was obviously a bummer but I think we saw from the get-go just how important he is to this side especially in my opinion in a knockout competition um I think just the the fluidity, but also the kind of balance that we had in that front five. And I, I mean, really, I guess front six, when you include Rodri was, was really nice to see, albeit cut short. So um, I think it was a great 11. I mean, to me, I think that's probably the back four. I would imagine we'll, pro- we'll see for the run in um, presuming everybody stays fit. I think, okay. I said it on um, Monday's podcast. I just, he's been our most consistent player this season. Bar none. Particularly um, in, a, in a season in which some of the performances from other defenders may have dropped a bit too. Right. And he's he's just always been there. Um, whether it's left center back, left back, doesn't really matter. He's and, and that's dating back to the beginning of last season. There's been ups and downs and that's normal, right? Players come in and out of form, but it seems like he's been, and I, I said it money, like a minimum seven out of 10. And, and that's huge to start, you know, out of the back with, with a player that's that consistent. Alex, there was some discussion in our group chat after the Grealish um, substitution, which, by the way, was a fucking nightmare. And, and we saw Pep very visibly annoyed with Jeremy Doku that he wasn't ready um, when Grealish had been down for a while and Grealish had to go back on for you know two or three minutes until Doku was ready. Um, what changed with City? You're, you're kind of our, our in-house tactics man here. What, what changed with City after Grealish went off and Doku came on? Because... That was when it felt like, for a bit, the control slipped a little. And, and obviously, look, Grealish and Doku are almost polar opposite wingers in, in many respects. Um, but how much of an impact did that have on the way that City could control the game in that first 45 minutes? Yeah, I think this was a very, very sort of 
stark representation of the function that Grealish offers versus the sort of dysfunction that comes about when you introduce Doku into the side. And, you know, Doku is one of the most unique footballers on earth. There aren't many players that have the qualities he has. He is one of a kind. But when you introduce him into a city side, his first season only at 21 years old, he's not going to be fully sort of gelled with the entire unit. And I think we've seen that all season. And I think we saw that once again today. And I think it's mostly just that he isn't sort of synced up with the tempo of the side. And that's something that Grealish does so well is you get the ball to his feet and you know that, first of all, he's not going to lose possession. That's something that Doku didn't do very well today. You also know that he's going to sort of make the right decision and play to the right sort of tempo and standard of time. And Doku doesn't do that yet. And for me, it's like Doku has this very, very sort of polarizing on-field identity. He comes to City being this player who sort of already knows who he is. He, he said in an, in an interview recently that when he gets the ball, he wants to kill his man and take on his man. And that's like the one thing in his mind. And you can't do that all the time at City. And so he's starting to learn that he can't do that. But at the same time, it's not very easy to change that identity. And so I think that's what we're seeing is this sort of clashing of identities where Doku wants to play like Doku and Pep wants Doku to play like a sort of cog in the city machine. And I think people criticize Pep for forcing players to play a certain way. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a team sport and you need to sort of cope with that and, and fit into the team the best that you can. I think Joe, he's also a bit of a victim of his own success as well, because he came into the team, you know, late on in the window and he hit the ground running. And the best we've seen from Doku has been the first two or three games from him, where he scored the game winning goal at West Ham. He had what, like four goal contributions in, in one game against Bournemouth, I think it was four or five. And, um, He's kind of the first player that I can't remember. And look, I have been very critical of Doku and 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 you know kind of the flaws that he's had since joining the club. And and I'm, I'd be the first to admit that. But he's kind of the first player in a long time that I can remember that I haven't seen kind of vast armies of people coming to his defense to say, "Well, it's the first season syndrome," because it is the first season syndrome. I mean, I I genuinely believe he, if he doesn't come into the team and immediately hit the ground running like he did, we wouldn't be having these ups, up and down discussions about him because it's a young player in a Pep Guardiola team in their first season. This is just what happens, right? <clears throat> well, and I, th- I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? It's because of the way that he came into the side with, I, I mean, I don't know what everybody expected. I didn't expect much, at least in the first half of the season. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that he, like you said, had his best spell of form really from the get go, the expectations were high. So now when you're not meeting those expectations, everyone's saying, well, wh- what do we sign? What, what type of a player is this? But if you obviously take it back a bit, you say he's a 21 year old player who, at least in my eyes, was always a prospect, not a CFG prospect, but a prospect that I never really expected to see the best of him for another couple years, to be honest. Um, I expected him to be more of an impact sub. Um, lay down in games, run at tired legs, you know, get a handful of appearances, but not really be a starter. And um, I think for a handful of different reasons, he's played a lot more than probably Pep himself or even Doku himself expected. Um, and it's funny because, like, to go back to Al- the point Alex was making, I think Pep probably wants Doku to be more like Grealish. 
but I bet you he also wants Grealish to be a little bit more like Doku, right? It's like this, this, if you can kind of take the best of both of their abilities, you have a really quality player there. And obviously at the end of the day, they're both quality, but um, I, I think there's a lot of room for Doku to grow. And I think for Jack, you know, where he's a little later on in his career, it's just about him being that cog in the machine. And I think, I don't want to say that's all we're going to get because what we have is great. Um, but I think that that's kind of the player that he is where for Doku, you can kind of mold him into being the player that he is now, but also taking the qualities that a, you know, a Jack has, a Bernardo has even Phil to, to some extent and, and growing and molding a player now. Yeah. And I have an interesting stat to throw in here and it's that Doku and Holland have played over a thousand minutes together this season. Now they have yet to combine for a goal. And that's just, there have been some ones, I think there was against West Ham, a back post low cross that Holland should have put in. And you can say, you know, ifs and buts, but the stat is the stat. And that's pretty mind blowing. And I don't know, it's just, it's just difficult to, as much as he has positive, it's difficult to give him that sort of extra prop that I see a lot of people do nowadays when he isn't assisting someone like Erling Holland. He's not linking up with him. And we know there's a lot, and yes, it exactly is for season syndrome. We sort of forget that, but I think we need to sort of mellow our expectations a little bit in general with Doku. I think this is setting us up perfectly for when um, Pep retires and City poach Arteta because Arteta was the man to get the, the the finishing from Raheem Sterling and he made him into you know a king in the final third for three seasons or so. So maybe he'll have that that magic touch on Doku when he <laughs> flies from the Emirates up to uh, up to the Etihad. Uh, I think it's about time we got to talk about Kevin De Bruyne, um, a man on an absolute mission, and another game, another night where. He puts the whole show on his back. And I mentioned on the preview pod that it's astonishing that coming off this major hamstring surgery, we all saw the images of the scar on his hamstring the other day. It looks like a a brutal operation that he had. Um, Yet he comes back in his early 30s and we're kind of seeing the best De Bruyne we've seen in a long time long time from a consistency basis we've seen these magic nights we remember you know wolves away where i think he had four goals in in the title running in the 21 22 season um but look just some some stats on de bruyne joe 10 goals 11 assists in his last 22 champions league knockout appearances plus two goals and seven assists since returning from this injury um and this one blew my mind so since coming back from his injury, he now has more games with both a goal and an assist than Martin Odegaard, Alexis McAllister, Dominic Soboslai, James Madison, Connor Gallagher, Lucas Paqueta, Kai Havertz, James Ward-Prowse, and Joel Linton have combined for the entire season. Oh, the entire season. The entire season combined. That's just, <laughs> like, come on, that's like, just Kevin Bruyne since January. Damn. Um, yeah, I honestly don't know like what the bigger slice was, whether it was opening up Kev's hamstring or opening up the defenses he's been going against because, my goodness, that boy is special. He, uh, th- What I love about Kev, I mean, I could probably go on and on, but to keep it short and sweet, like that goal he had today was just – it just looks so easy. Like it looks so, so easy. And maybe if you're on the other side, you're going far post from from the left side as a right footer. It's a little easier. That's a really tough goal to navigate from that side um, and to basically just pass it into the net. I don't know if he's been taking 
tips from Rodri and, and uh, shooting drills, but um, he just makes the game look so easy and effortless. Um, and, and I think since coming back from injury, it seems like his game's changed a little bit. Um, it, it almost feels more simple, less forced. Um, I know when he usually comes back from injury, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the week, but it, it felt like he'd always just try to get back into things by fo- forcing passes, forcing crosses, whatever. It feels like he's let the game come to him. And what I'm really optimistic about with that is as he continues to get older and, you know, lose a step, he needs to let the game kind of come to him. He can't always try to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and be running 40, 50 yards at a time. It's it's about kind of dropping a little deeper at times or, you know, letting players play around you and not just having it all run through Kev, even if obviously he's kind of the end product. So I've been highly encouraged by his return. Um, I think the scary thing is I really don't think he's anywhere near full fitness um, and he's still putting up a goal contribution every 40 minutes. So yeah, he's, he's pretty good. I'm, I'm glad we'll keep him around. Yeah. And to bring Phil Foden into the conversation here too, because today we saw Phil assisted Kev for the first goal. And then for the last goal it was Kev assisting Phil. And you know, as good as Kevin is on his own, the partnership that they have on that right-hand side just elevates each of them to another level. Because, I mean, that's two of, first of all, the best talents in the league right there, two of the top three, top five talents, however you want to put it, in the league, in the world right there, playing on the same side. Two of the best talents in City's history, playing on the same side at the same time. And they just complement each other's game so well, because, first of all, it's it's a left-footer and a right-footer, so the delivery from that side is just, you don't know ever which way it's going to come from. Second of all, they both have the finishing to them. We all know that. On that first goal, sort of whenever they they do that little overlap, underlap, there are three options that come of that. First of all, as we saw with the first goal, Kev can finish. You have to stop that if you're a defense. That's sort of option A. You, You always have to stop that. The second one is something that we saw throughout all of last season, which is you have to stop the delivery to Erling Holland, whether that's a low cross across the six, whether that's a little back post dink, you have to stop that. And then the third thing is what we saw with the final goal. You have to stop the little cutback to Phil Foden as he sort of drops back to the edge of the box. And that is a defender's worst nightmare. You just cannot compete with that. And when you put those two in, yes, I know a lot of us city fans do not like Phil Foden being put out on the right wing, but when you have the two of them together, the combination there is just unlike any duo we we might ever see. I'll take it one step further as well. You know, if you if you take away all three of those options, then the cutback goes all the way to Rodri on the edge of the box and, and we know what he'll do there. Or it or it floats across to Bernardo on the other corner and and we know what he can do from there. So um yeah, it, look, it's not a bad combination of players to have on the ball when you need a goal. Uh, All right, that'll do for part one. Sit right where you are. We'll be back in a moment for part two to discuss that game a bit more and, and unfortunately talk about some injuries. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season, and the same goes for McDelivery. 
Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. If you are new here, please hit follow, hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review unless it's a shit one. That is the best way for us to get this show out to more blues like you. Um, unfortunately, we're going to talk about some injuries here, Joe. Uh, there was quite a few of them in that game and and we got a couple of updates from, from Pep Guardiola after the match. Um, we've already discussed the Jack Grealish injury. On Grealish, Pep said that it looks muscular. Um, he said, I didn't speak with the doctor, but it looks muscular. In the last days, his attitude and training was much, much better, which by the way, little nugget maybe of why he hadn't been playing for a little bit. Um, he said he helps us find the right tempo. It's a real shame with Jack Joe because it felt like in that first 15, 20 minutes, we were kind of seeing the old Grealish, the Grealish we got from last season. He was drawing big fouls on the edge of the box. He was kind of, we called him the Rodri from the wing. He was helping set that tempo and he's kind of one of your main cruxes when it comes to the control. Um, and going forward in Champions League knockout games and games in the Premier League that you need that control with, you know, we've, we've all seen the fixture list coming in March. Um, he's going to be important for City down the stretch. So we, we need him back, don't we? We definitely do. I mean, he's, whether people want to believe it, because some people just like to look at goals and assists, he's one of City's big game players. It's, it's as simple as that. He shows up, again, whether want, people want to believe it or not. Um, so, you know, the hope is that the tests come back more positively than what Pep kind of reported him on. But, you know, if you look at the injury, it's groin area, um, non-contact. It doesn't look great. Um, He's obviously now had a kind of under the radar, fairly lengthy injury record at City. And it seems like when he gets hurt, it's not just one or two games that he's out. Um, So, you know, at this point, kind of just cross your fingers and hope that, you know, if it's just the rest of February and and we can get him back for that run in in March, I think we'd be lucky. Um, cause there's a lot of big games to play. And again, when he's fit and firing, I think city are at their very best. Yeah. I can attest uh, as much as anybody that, uh, a lack of contact with your groin is, is a huge issue. Um, <laughs> I've been suffering for 27 years now. Um, we'll move on to Bernardo Silva now, Alex, unfortunately, another kind of tempo setter midfielder winger that, um, picked up, uh, an injury. We saw that pretty horrible, um, challenge from a guy who's aptly named Dix. Probably a red card, maybe a blue in the future. Who knows? Um, but, but but on Bernardo Silva, Pep says it's a big knock in his ankle. Um, we don't really have any sort of update on what that means. He did play on uh, limping around a bit. I'm hoping it's kind of you know one of those things that'll bruise and swell up for a few days, and and he'll be back to normal. I, I would guess we probably don't see him at the weekend, um, but hopefully he'll be back by next week. Yeah, I would think so. Normally a knock like that to the ankle. Maybe at most two weeks, probably looking at less than that. I think as long as he's back by the beginning of March when we have that run of United, second leg of Copenhagen, Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal, Villa, as long as he's back for that, I think it'll be okay. I think we can make do without him. So hopefully it's not more than that. Dr. Michelle has (laughs) spoken. Uh, Finally, para-Croatians, Jasko Gavardial has sustained an ankle ligament injury, according to Pep, and will be ruled out for two to three weeks. Um, Look, I think if there's anywhere where 
City can deal with one or two injuries, it's probably at the back considering you have about four or five defenders that can play anywhere in that back line. Um, you know, we're as lucky as any anybody to have Nathan Ake and, and can cover for that. But Gavardial was starting to kind of come in on his own as as that left-sided defender, Joe. Um, how much of a miss is that? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's... Um... It sucks for Vardiol. I think for City, you know, again, knock on wood, provided Ake stays fit, I don't think it's a loss at all. I I, I think Foden and probably Rodri have been too good this season for me to say Ake's been player of the season, but in terms of consistency, bar Foden, I think, like I said earlier, Ake's been our most consistent. So I think City will be okay there. Um, it's more just where we're looking at probably two, three games a week for ideally the rest of the season. Um, you're going to want to have some sort of rotation there. Yes, Rico Lewis can play there. Yes, in a pinch, Akanji can play there, and obviously Sergio Gomez. But um, I think you'd like to be rotating between Ake and Vardiol on that left side. Um, and then, you know, with Kovacic, I mean, having him come back to what capacity, we'll, we'll still see. But having him come back is crucial, um, especially if Bernardo and Jack are going to be out for a bit. He's not quite the tempo setter they are, but he can be kind of that that tempo setter that can play next to Rodri, play a little bit farther forward, or obviously let Rodri play farther forward. So I think getting him back fit and and getting as many minutes out of him will be, you know, critical for what City are trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you broke you broke the news there for me. Um, but but Pep did say that Mateo Kovacic is ready to come back. So like you said, with potentially Foden having to go take out a wide position again because of a lack of Grealish or Bernardo Silva, um, you know we might see some more of of Kovacic and Nunes going forward. But I want to end with um, a little discussion just on the scoreline from from this game in Copenhagen because. I think that late goal was probably ultra important to put it at 3-1, especially when you look ahead to the fixture list. The second leg of this tie comes smack in the middle of a Manchester derby and a trip to Anfield. So how much of a difference, Alex, does that third goal make? Does does it give Pep license to rotate in the second leg, or is he still probably going to have to go with a full-strength 11 and and maybe try and get an early lead and, and then rotate from there? I do think it gives him license to rotate, especially with someone like Kevin De Bruyne, for example, because you know he can come on for a cameo off the bench. The reason I say that is, of course, anything can happen. But first of all, you wouldn't back them to score. You wouldn't back Copenhagen to score more than two goals at the Etihad. And if they score less than two, then you know we advance. We're all right. You would also back us to score at least one at the Etihad. So by that logic combined, you know we should be through. Obviously, again, anything can happen. Knock on a wood. Doctor and a mathematician. <laughs> what a what a special treat we have. But yeah, I do think that you know, given the fixture congestion here, given how it's sandwiched between fixtures, and there's only three or four days between each of them, you know, you have to make compromises somewhere. And especially since Chelsea and Brentford, the two games before that are, well, I think it goes Chelsea, Brentford, Bournemouth, and then the other game against Copenhagen. Uh, you really need to like focus on the the league and focus on that first and sort of take it one game at a time and then assess things when it comes to that second leg. And, you know, maybe Kevin De Bruyne will be fit and firing by then. Of course, he's like the name I'm throwing out because he's the most important player in this regard. You know, Erling Holland will never really have an issue with the fitness. Someone like Phil Foden should never really have an issue with the fitness. But uh, yeah, I do think it gives him slightly more license. Whereas if it were 2-1 and ended that way, you're definitely looking at a much tighter, uh, tighter knit game there. And, a lot more pressure on that second leg, even with it being at home. 
Joe, where do you fall on this? Are you, are you in the camp of with this 3-1 lead, you can rotate from the start? Um, as Alex said, it's probably you could probably doubt that Copenhagen pull off a result at a place that has now become um, you know, kind of an impenetrable fortress in European competitions. Um, are you in the camp of go full strength 11, try and get an early lead and then, you know, make five subs in one go at, at halftime or can Pep probably just from the start, give some, some time to, sorry, hold on. Can Pep from the start go with something more similar to what we saw against Everton where, where Nunes and, and, and players like that can come into the fold? Yeah, I think it's about selective rotation. Um, and obviously, you know, it's still a bit of a ways away, so we don't know who will be fit by then. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, this ties over with that third goal. I think with the second uh, goal, you fucked it, it now, Joe. You have <laughs> fucked it now. You're you're usually still on pins and needles, you know, with a one goal difference, anything can happen. And I think Copenhagen can afford to be a little bit more um, passive. But now being down two goals, I think they do need to open up and ultimately, again, try to pick the the certain right type of profile and all that but I think going back home City should be okay and, and again I mean between United and Liverpool this game takes place um, United you know the derby is always nasty it's always high tempo same goes for Klopp's Liverpool I think City should would be wise to go into that Copenhagen match with you know just retain possession keep it simple almost in a weird way how we typically treat away matches in the first leg of European ties when there was the um, away goal tiebreaker, just keeping things simple. So um, I, I would be okay with rotation, not wholesale, but, you know, two, three players, I, I don't think will be a problem. And yeah, sorry, I messed up the uh, schedule there. So thanks for correcting that, Joe. It's between, it's March 3rd, United, March 6th, second leg of Copenhagen, March 10th, Liverpool away. So very congested, two super important matches surrounding that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll be crunch time. And look, as a wise man once said, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. And I think Joe has got me a little (laughs) bit nervous here. So, all right, that'll do for us today. Joe, thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. Alex, thank you. Thanks a lot, Adam. Always a pleasure. Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow, as always. Until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.